right, welcome everybody back to the PHLY Sixers postgame show. Derek Bonner joined by Kyle Newbeck here to talk about what was a pretty easy Sixers win as they improved to 10-3 and three on the season. How you doing, Kyle? Derek, you're already burying the lead. Season high, three points from Mo freaking Bamba. We are off to the races, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe it. it Our long national nightmare is over. Mo Bamba scored three points in a professional basketball game. It was good to see. It was good to see. <laughs> anyway, How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing well. Uh, it was a, like I said, a pretty easy win here. Pretty close in much of the first half. Uh, Nets came back, took a brief 34-31 lead. Sixers ended the half with, I think it was, a 20-5 run. To close out the second, it was never really a competitive basketball game. After that, Joel Embiid led the way, 32 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, 11 of 24 shooting from the field, and perhaps most crucially, only one turnover. The Sixers, as a team, had just four turnovers on the night, led to a plus 13 in the field goal attempts column. You tend to win games when you dominate the possession battle that much. <clears throat> Besides Embiid, and Embiid, I thought, carried them for much of the first half. He had, what, 22, 8, and 5, something like that at the break. Tyrese Maxey then came alive. Tyrese Maxey ended the game with 25 points, 10 assists, and one turnover. Taking and bearing all of that, I am legitimately bearing, not a Mo Bamba bearing, but like an actual properly <laughs> bearing. Uh, De'Anthony Melton was real good Another there. good game for De'Anthony, yeah. He's been real good here of late. Uh, very important for them in the first half as they were trying to keep afloat while some players were struggling. Taking a step back, because this maybe isn't the most interesting game in the world because they're just better than the Nets. What's your overall takeaway here? For Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey to have 19 assists and two turnovers in a game is astounding to yeah. me. I mean, certainly for Joel, turnovers are historically and still are a problem in many ways. But Tyrese on the other side of that partnership, finding a way to be the lead guard, the point guard of this team and manage the team the way he has without exposing himself or the team to a whole lot of risk on the other side of it is really unheard of for a guard at this stage of his career. You know, I think we've talked about this before, Derek, that Tyrese typically you'd want to see a guy his age taking more risks, right? You want him to, if he's got a few turnovers in a game, that can be a good thing because he's trying things that he should do and reads that he's eventually going to be able to make for later in his career. He hasn't had to make especially risky passes. Yeah. He's hitting all the the staple plays, the pocket pass to Joel. He had a, I know you and I talked about it during the game, Derek. He had a skip pass to Marcus Mars in yep. the corner, which, oh my God, Marcus Mars hit a three. That's, we almost buried that lead too. First three-pointer uh, of his Sixers career. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was a big deal. So to see Tyrese make that read over the top coming out of a pick and roll. And frankly, that was in a stretch where Joel missed some shots during this period, but it was just spamming middle pick and roll mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. And Tyrese hit Joel in that pocket a ton of times. And then Brooklyn tries to adjust to it. Tyrese immediately hesitates on the next play, gets a little deeper into the defense, and throws that pass to Morris in the corner. That's the maturation that you and I mm -hmm. and a lot of other people are looking for. So to see that from him, and then I feel like I keep harping on this. I get so frustrated in opening quarters to see him either not scoring or not scoring very much. He did just miss some shots yep. today, I think was the difference, but... 
Then you look up and it's the third quarter and he goes on this insane heater of a run. He's hitting crazy step backs and pull-ups in the fourth quarter. Ends up with 25 points and 10 assists. Like I know Joel Embiid was the headline and I do think was their best player today. I think that's pretty much indisputable. But I just love what I'm seeing from Tyrese as a leader of this team and yeah. a guy who really has a firm control of the offense right now. That that in itself, we're what, 13 games in now? It is just awesome to see. Yeah, uh, and the one turnover he did have was a pretty risky bounce pass to Tobias in traffic that I liked just seeing him take. Like I'm, it, it wouldn't, I'm not saying I want more turnovers, but I like that he took that pass. Yes. But sometimes, like, and this is why at the you know before the season, we were both questioning how much his, you know, shot creation and his vision would improve. But I also picked him to pick or average more than six assists on the season. Part of it is because some of those reads coming out of that pick and roll. They're not necessarily all that difficult, all that creative. You don't have to be super creative. A lot of times, especially when they're running it with the uh, strong side abandoned and you've got three people on the other side, a lot of that help is coming from the slot. One pass yes. away, real easy. Like you saw, I think he got uh, Melton for a couple of his threes. Just a real easy pick and roll with Embiid. Kick out to the slot, uh, easy decisions. But like you said, he then, you know, when they started sending help from elsewhere, he saw that. He made that skip pass yes. to the corner. He's growing. And when you combine the fact that he's starting to make the passes he needs to make, because like I said, when you run that pick and roll with uh, Embiid and Maxi, and you leave that strong side open, you have to send help from somewhere. It's very tough to contain that in a two-man game. He's just too fast to do that. And if he's going to start diagnosing the help like he is, uh, he's going to have a lot of passing opportunities. And he's taking advantage of more of them than he ever has at any stage of his career. You can go back to freaking AAU or college or anywhere. Yeah. He has never controlled the game like he is now. It's real good to see. It is real. On a season, he has 92 assists. Uh, hat tip to the two-minute warning in the chat. 92 assists to, I think it's 19 turnovers. That's Which is just crazy. That's nearly five assists for every turnover. And the Sixers as a team, like I said, they ended up with just four on the night. Big part of that is because your two primary focal points were so decisive and so, you know, just completely picking the Nets apart. Uh, that was a, And the Nets have to junk it up. Like, they have to try to send help. They have nobody, obviously, who can guard Embiid one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I thought Embiid, you know, he only finished with 32 points. He left a little bit on the, you know, on, on the board a little bit in the first half. There were a couple of them where, you know, he was inside and got stripped or got blocked. Stuff he probably should have finished. A couple of real open mid-range jumpers. And his jumpers this year are pretty deep. Like, I think we gave yes. it a, a, pretty deep in the paint, I mean, pretty short. We gave Harden a lot of credit for getting Embiid easy looks. Well, Maxie's getting him those same looks right now, too. That pocket passes are all game long. It is real nice to see your two stars, your two focal points on the same page like you saw today. Yeah, and that pocket pass, Derek, I'm very fixated on that because you and I spent plenty of time in the offseason and all last season, in fairness, saying, look, James has made Joel's life easier. Well, the most important pass that James made and that staple play that they ran Tyrese is running it basically just as well as James did. And in many cases is more dangerous as a scorer yeah. than James was. And I think that's really it. It's like he might ha not have the court vision that James does. He doesn't, but he puts so much more pressure on a defense. He makes yes. forces so many more rotations at this stage in James Harden's career than James does uh, that a lot of those passing lanes, like I said, they're just wide open and he's taking advantage of them. Yeah. And that pocket pass is less about pure passing mechanics than it is 
timing. Yep. It, it's, hey, how far is the big dropping? When do I have the passing window? And so to see him constantly hit that and get there and get to the spot and wait until the perfect moment between the guy either, honestly, he's always going over the screen right now because you can't drop on Maxi or he's yep. taking a three. But waiting until the guy gets over the screen who's chasing him and the big drops enough, and then he's putting it right in Joel's hands. In many cases, including tonight, Joel's taking that and just shooting immediately. There's no process of, oh, I got to take a dribble. I got to do this. He's able to rise right into that shot. And those are the little things that I think we gave James Harden credit for last year, right? Where it's like, look, maybe that read is easy because you're giving the ball to the MVP. But there are still little nuances to it that James had mastered. And so to see Tyrese in that same spot being just as good at James, as James at that particular thing, that to me is mind-blowing yep. to have a player at the point Tyrese is at in his career, on top of everything else he does, that this was like, all right, we got to figure out if this kid can do these things. Not only is he doing it, he's fucking mastered it basically already. Yep. And if teams aren't loading up, to stop that action, Joel is getting the exact same shots that he was getting playing next to James Harden. And I will sit here and be honest with you. I did not think that that was possible coming no. into the year. No. And, and then you add in the fact that he's making logo threes now after I think it was what Springer and House seemed like they just ran like 15 seconds off the clock doing absolutely nothing. It was a wild possession. He bailed them out with a logo three, attempted another one that was near the logo. He's got that kind of range and we have that kind of range. With Embiid as a two-man game and you're starting to make those passes, uh, it is going to be increasingly difficult to defend. Yeah, so, I mean, the headline of the show was Joel Embiid. I feel like we've done a lot of Tyrese already, but this is a great example of a team that just has no chance, no nope. chance stopping Joe. And no matter what they did, I mean, we saw in the playoffs last year, they had to try to triple team him essentially and say somebody else beat us. And even though he missed the final game of that series, Sixers made light work of that Nets team. But, you know, Nick Claxton, who I think is an excellent switch defender, I don't have a whole lot of love for De'Ron Sharp, but neither does Joel, was just making mincemeat of him. One of the, my favorite plays of the game, honestly, was that kind of slow beat Sharp on a closeout and then just takes two or three steps in for a nice soft yeah. layup at the rim. So, I don't know. It's one of those games that... If he had really wanted to hit the gas and just call his own number, that could have easily been a 45, 50-point yep. game. I think to the all the maxi love that we're providing right now, I think one of the things that I've really loved out of Joel to start this year is that he's had a real recognition of, oh, it's this is Tyrese's time. Like Whether it's just it's a point in the game where he needs to get going or Tyrese already has it going, and instead of Joel trying to hammer his guy and his matchup over and over again, which, look, he's the franchise player. He's the guy who's ultimately going to lead this team where they need to go. If he wanted to stick his hand up and say, fuck you, this is my team, I'm going to take this shot, or we're going to run the offense for me, he could do that. I think he's shown a real willingness to seed the game and control the offense to Tyrese situationally. I think he's continuing to encourage him to shoot more threes. Another notable thing we didn't get to there. Tyrese took 11 threes yep. tonight, which that's – we're preaching that all the time. I know Joel's saying it. I know Nick is saying it. So Joel being able, being confident enough in himself as the pillar of this team to just take a step back and be like, all right, Tyrese, it's you time. It's go time. 
and for Tyrese to be able to step into that and have these amazing, incredible scoring runs playing off of Joel, they just have they've been such a better partnership already than I could have hoped for this year. And they still have, you know, almost 70 games left to play yeah. in this season. Yeah. And again, the Nets, I was telling us, Kyle, I feel like they should be a better defensive team than they are. They've got a lot of big rangy forwards. Uh, they don't seem like they're making the most out of that. Came into the game 19th in the league in defense. And on top of that, they have absolutely nobody who has a prayer of slowing down Joel Embiid. Like you mentioned, he probably could have gone for 45 if he wanted to pretty easily. But I think, the, well, first of all, he didn't have to play the final 12 minutes, which always helps. Yeah, and that's uh, something I want to get to in a second as well. But also, I mean, he was making the right reads. He was seeding to Maxi, the Sixers role players. While a lot of them didn't necessarily put up outside of Melton, didn't exactly put up high point total. They were making their open shots, uh, and the ball was moving very, very well. Uh, this was probably one of the better games in terms of overall ball movement. Yeah, it's just, you know, that's just a no-brainer win that we – we get to the fourth quarter. My recap's basically already done. So I'm much happier than I am yeah. normally just to be done with my work sooner than later. Spent the last four minutes walking around looking for Sour Patch Kids to get me a little Starburst bit of boost of energy before we come of, on. Yeah, yeah, it was nice yeah. and low stress for sure. Well, for sure. do you know what else could give you a boost of energy and help you recover I mean, from look, a I'm tough sure workout? I'm sure whatever you're going to say is fantastic. It's not better than Sour Patch Kids. That's I my disagree jam. because our sponsor, Pennsylvania Dairy Farmers and Team Chocolate Milk, will tell you professional and college athletes have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for quite a long time. And chocolate milk provides high quality protein for muscle repair, electrolytes for hydration and calcium for strong bones. And that's why studies consistently show that chocolate milk is an ideal sports recovery beverage. I don't know about the sports recovery part of it in this office. How many people are using it for that? I can tell you the chocolate milk we've had around here when pretty damn fast so either we got a lot of runners and exercisers around here or it's also just delicious so you know who's to say but whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym a run around boathouse row or a bike ride on the schuylkill trail chocolate milk's an ideal post-workout beverage taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero on your workout routine so give your body what it needs to properly recover and what could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in pennsylvania that also tastes great Learn more about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. A couple other things I thought were interesting. Just stupid things. Trust me, there's nothing. Papa's is giving you shit, by the way, for trying to screw up my transition to the chocolate milk. I'm not saying chocolate milk isn't great. I'm just <laughs> saying I, I have a thing for... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's fine. That's fine. Thank you, Papa's, for the support from overseas. I really appreciate it. <laughs> The Sixers averaged 2.1 points per play when they ran off of live rebounds. You only get two points for every made shot. So that's shot. pretty so good, that's pretty I would good. say. Yeah. And 2.3 points per play when they ran off of steals. Again, this is what I mean by the Nets not getting the most out of their physical tools. When you're that bad defensively in transition, you tend to lose more than you should. Yes. Uh, they were not good in that regard. Yeah. So here's what I wanted to say that you were touching on the end of the last segment. I love that the Sixers have been a team so far this year that have been able to give Joel multiple fourth quarters off entirely, like mm -hmm. still have dominant outings, still pad the stats for stupid awards and all-star, all-NBA, all kinds of other different honors that Joel will be considered for as the year wears on and not have to put him back in the game at all in fourth quarters. And I do think it speaks to 
the level of one team buy-in that we've talked about a lot, just the overall synergy where they're bringing guys in in waves. We've seen Jaden Springer's been able to make positive impact over the last few games. Is finally getting his consistent shot in the rotation. Still have to watch Marcus Morris, unfortunately. And that's did hit a three tonight, so don't want to be too harsh on him. Robert Covington came in tonight, had a couple of nice baseline cuts where Joel's finding them for assists. And the overall team cohesion is just really, really good. So I know that there was some frustration from us, certainly for the fans midweek last week, but this just looks like a really damn good team. And that's not always like, I understand how Joel plays against Al Horford, how they fare against Boston and the Bucks. I know are kind of up and down right now, the Nuggets and the, not the Warriors, maybe the Thunder now is like one of the better teams in the West. There are going to be benchmark games where we're like, okay, this is how the Sixers look against a real deal contender. But another mark of a contender is a team that goes out and takes care of business night after night. They beat up on the teams they're supposed to. They don't throw away winnable games. And I would say by and large, that's exactly what the Sixers have done. They've taken care of business and they've been in every single game, including the ones that they've lost. Well, I mean, you mentioned that, all right, this isn't the Celtics, so it's not a benchmark game. Well, they, they did beat the Celtics like a week and a half ago. And it really is like we call them benchmark games, but I feel like with some of the fan base, it is a lose-lose because you either beat them and it doesn't matter, it's only the regular season prove it to me in the playoffs, or you lose to them and it confirms all of your, your fears and insecurities about the team. They, their record against good teams right now is in line with other good teams. They are performing well. They are not going to win every game. You're going to win. Some, you're going to lose some close ones, like every good team will. I think we were pretty. The way we covered it in those two losses, they were frustrating, but not going to freak out about it. And yeah. I think this is why, because they come back and they beat a team who, again, is probably going to challenge for a playoff spot or at least a play-in spot. They're not a good team, but they're not a bad team. These are the kind of wins that you have to go on the road, take care of business, and the Sixers did that very, very easily. They did that with their two stars being stars. They did that with some encouraging performances from their role players. They did that despite the fact that they got pretty roundly outshot um, from three-point range or uh, from corner threes. I mean, the, the, the Nets made a lot of their gimmies in that regard. I think the Sixers just beat the snot out of them, and it's good <laughs> to see. Like, when you execute at that level and don't turn the ball over and don't make mistakes and, and you're able to force double teams and rotations that consistently, and you just don't, like, Tyrese Maxey's ability, and I will get on him, and I want more turnovers, and I mean that, I want him to take more riskier passes, but his ability to put so much pressure on the other team coming off that pick and roll and just not make a mistake, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, and look, I think the speed that they play with, with Maxey in the, essentially the hardened spot from last year, noticeably different. That was obvious. Yes. And... Even someone who had never watched the Sixers before would know, well, Tyrese Maxey's fast. They're going to play faster than when James Harden ran the team. But to see, for example, there was a play in the first half where the Nets turn it over, ball gets knocked out of bounds, and Tyrese immediately is like, let's go. Like, get the ball up the floor. They score a quick basket. And there's a legit level of urgency that they they show on a possession-to-possession basis that hasn't always been there. I know that these wins can be taken for granted over the course of 82 games and a whole lot of months during an NBA season. But I love this. As someone who has, like, 
you guys in the chat, uh, God love you. Like you're here. A lot of you are here every single day, every single game, all that. But you guys have the ability to check out if you want to. Derek and I don't have that luxury. So <laughs> I, for one, really appreciate a night to night professionalism and consistency from this crew. I'm sure that you do too. I have, but gone, it hits a little bit differently for these guys on this side. I of have the gone almost a third of my life without having the luxury of being able to check out uh, when this team is pissing me off. <laughs> you guys definitely like you. There's some advantages to being a fan for sure. One of them is what Kyle mentioned. So the fact that they're coming out and playing consistent basketball right now, or at least consistently entertaining basketball, even in the losses, there's, there's good things to take away from it. Yeah. As someone who, like like Kyle mentioned, who contractually is not allowed to check out of a game, I appreciate that. That's a good point. It's, it's all about us. Yeah, well, but listen, I also understand it from the fans' perspective, right? In years past, certainly Joel, definitely when Ben was here, I think honestly one of the worst culprits the year he was here, Jimmy Butler, where there were games where those guys just clearly didn't give a shit. Yeah. It was like, oh, that's a dock with the schedule loss <laughs> excuse and look there are schedule losses yes. I, I think last week playing the celtics right after playing indiana regardless of who was absent for both teams that night that was one that was going to be very difficult for the sixers to win the reason you give them credit and you get excited for what this team is doing is they're not giving you those excuses this year it's we have a chance to win every single game joel's on the floor tyrese is on the floor nick is our coach and it doesn't matter if it's D House on Friday against Atlanta, if it's DeAnthony Melton tonight scoring 20 plus points and finally getting his shot going, Nick Batum coming back, only taking one shot and ended up being like a plus 22 without even having to do a whole lot tonight. Covington pitching in, Morris hitting a three. Like all these guys, and partially because there's a culture of competition right now, some of these guys don't know if they're going to play night to night are coming in and they're busting their asses and they're saying, maybe I'm only getting 10 minutes tonight. Maybe I'm only getting 15 minutes tonight, but you're getting the best 10 to 15 minutes that those guys have. And that's yep. what separates a very good team, which the Sixers frankly have been for the entirety of Joel Embiid's career, yep. basically whenever he's on the floor and takes you up to that contention level. When that buy-in is there 48 minutes a game or close to it, 82 games a year, that pays dividends at the end of the season. No, the buy-in has been fantastic. It does make you wonder, maybe the new market inefficiency is to have your entire freaking roster on expiring contracts. None of them can take a night off. Uh, I know Daryl Morey's history suggests that he is likely to trade an expiring role player for a role player with a couple years left. I don't know. Everyone's busting their ass. I'm half kidding, but I think your point is valid. They, right now, are working every game. And the shot's not going to be there every game. The decision-making's not going to be there every game. But the effort so far has been... Uh, and that was certainly evident again tonight. Well, on that subject too, how many uh, they didn't turn the ball basically over at all tonight until I tweeted about it. Yeah, of they course. Were, they were uh, the jinx the, man over yeah, here. The fewest turnovers in the game this season. Knicks had three earlier on in the season. There have been three games all year where a team had five or fewer turnovers. Now there have been four. The Sixers ended the night with four, but they do not get the record because they had, I think, only one turnover deep into the third with like a minute left in the third. And then they got sloppy with it towards the end. But the point I was That's going kidding. to make is that how many times have we seen guys on this team turn the ball over this year and then haul ass to get back on defense? Where not every play, certainly. There have been a few where guy turns the ball over, sloppy dribbling, whatever, and they just kind of look the other way. But it's been a whole lot of D-House made a mistake, 
and then D House tears down the floor. Mm-hmm. Jaden Springer makes a mistake. Jaden Springer's getting back in the picture. Even Joel has had a couple chase down type opportunities after throwing a bad pass or losing the handle a little bit. So transition defense has been a real problem for them over the years. Now some of that is because their best player is a big man who takes a little bit for him to get down the floor. It's a has an impact on the old transition yep. defense, but I just think you see so many signs of buy-in up and down the roster and it helps us all get through 82 games. It's going to help them win games. It's better to watch for the people at home. It's better for you and I. We don't have to sit here and like debate effort. We can get into scheme and tactics and what Nick Nurse is doing and you know the little wrinkles that come up every night. So I, as someone who has watched this team go through the motions and blame losses on oh, motivation and stupid nonsense throughout the season, I'm just very pleased about what I have gotten to watch so far. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Again, I sort of feel like we're burying D'Anthony here by not mentioning him at all. Absolutely. Ended up 21 points, five rebounds. Shot 80% from the field. (laughs) Eight for 10 from the field, four for six from three-point range. I don't really know how much, like, first of all, he made some layups today, which we don't get to say And tough ones, too. Some tough ones, uh, some and ones. His his three-point shot, which everyone, including us, like, I I don't want to say we freaked out. I feel like... If you go back, we would have said, like, I feel like by the end of the year, he's going to hit the back of his baseball card, so to speak. But it was very frustrating while it was happening. After a you know a tough first seven or so games, he's shooting pretty well here now. Um, I don't know how much I have to add. But in the first quarter, uh, especially in the first quarter, but the entire, the entire first half, really, uh, when they were floundering outside of Joel, he, he was huge for them. He was very huge. Well, and I just think, like... It's sort of the Danny Green thing, right? Where when Danny Green would play poorly, there's not a whole lot to analyze. It's like, well, the guy missed shots. Yeah, the ball didn't go in. And that, that's kind of been the DeAnthony problem, right? Is He's getting clean looks, and certainly we could criticize some of his trips to the rim and the circus shots that he's attempting around the basket. Other than that, it was mostly just missing shots. And... and Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid and all the rest of the gang were encouraging DeAnthony throughout that stretch. I do see a super chat on the screen, Derek. We can wait until the next segment to get to oh. our good friend Vince. Especially I think. him. Just come into the studio and ask us, buddy. I was going to say, our, our wonderful co-worker, Vince, in the chat. We will get to that question on Springer to open the next segment. but Because I don't want to steal DeAnthony's thunder again. I feel like we're trying to praise him, and now it's like sidetracked. Um yeah, I just I think the important thing was that Nurse and Joel and Tyrese and all these other guys surrounded DeAnthony with love and support and said, we don't care if he goes 0 for 6. We want him to take the seventh three, and we want him coming out the next game, firing, looking at the rim, and yep. playing the way they want DeAnthony to play. So to his credit, it, it's easy to say that. It's harder for DeAnthony in the middle of a really cold stretch to carry that out. And so I give him a lot of credit for breaking through to the other side now. And I think finally looking like the DeAnthony Melton we expected coming into the season, I think it's fair to say. He is now shooting 44% from three-point range on the season. So probably a little better than we expected oh, there, for sure. I would say. Uh, especially when he, can fit, you know, what was he shooting coming into like the first six or seven games? Like probably like 26%, something yeah. in that range. Uh, so he has been on fire here of late. Can he keep it up? No, probably not. He's not a 44% three-point shooter on volume. He'll probably come back down to 38 39% like he does most seasons. 
three-point shooters, especially high-volume off-ball three-point shooters, they're going to be up and down all season long. We would freak out every time, like I mentioned all the time, because I feel like Cove came up right as we were sort of getting used to the fact that there are players who are going to shoot a high volume of three, and you actually want them shooting a high volume of three. So Cove is always the one that I go back to, and it's like every time he would have a down month, people would freak out. It's just part of the experience. And the nice thing about DeAnthony, just like Cove a little bit, he'll give you uh, something defensively. He'll contribute on that side of the floor. He'll get out and run the break. He might not make the layups, but he'll at least run the break and give you that. Give you a little bit of secondary uh, ball handling. Again, he's probably doing a little too much, but it is still a skill set he has and something that you need. He was able to work through it. And like you mentioned, Nick and Joel empowering him and giving him confidence, I'm sure helped. But this is just sort of the nature of that kind of role player. Yeah, but if you want to see whether DeAnthony Melton is able to keep it up, I have an app for you. You can go use the Game Time app in order to get tickets to go see the Sixers the next time they play down at the Wells Fargo Center. Because, guys, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. And Game Time's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets, start getting hype for all the fun that you'll have down at the Wells Fargo Center. And, Derek, I think we can say this objectively, even though you and I are robots during the games. It is a fun place to be, Sixers games, when you know Joel's on a roll or Tyrese is on a roll. and Basketball games are a lot more fun in person than I think some people realize who are only watching at home all the time. I've, I think I've converted a few people into yeah. basketball fans just by convincing them to go down and check out a game. So game time, with the, their awesome app, you can forget planning months in advance because they have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. You find tickets in the same section in a row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Pretty amazing. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And then Derek and I do want to mention, while we have your attention here, I'm not going to pitch you to subscribe and like the video yet, but I will later. We do I mean, have that really a, is kind of a pitch there, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> we do have a Black Friday sale coming up at PHLY Locker, 25% off. And if you spend $75, you get a $15 gift card. I can tell you that... We got some real comfortable hoodies. I have not filled out my t-shirt collection, PHLY, quite yet. But obviously, while you're in the middle of doing your Black Friday shopping, you're thinking about some stuff you want to wear down to games. After buying your tickets through game time at some point later in the year, wouldn't be a bad purchase, and it sure would help us out here. So just something to keep in mind. And honestly, the hoodies are fantastic. Like Kyle and I wear them all the time. They're comfortable. They're warm. Uh, I, I really do. It, despite the, uh, in addition to the fact that they have our logo on it, which I appreciate, uh, they're all <laughs> also good hoodies. I like them. Um, yeah. So I want to circle back now to our guy Vince. Well, dropped us a super chat. I looked it up just to, to kind of close that out. D'Anthony over the first seven games shot twenty nine point five percent from the field and thirty two percent from three. So for him to be up at forty four percent after just four games um, or six games since, feel good. He is cooking. So Vince asks us. Is Jaden Springer for real? I guess that that's kind of a broad question. I would say 
the important thing that I've seen the last few games that he's gotten in is that there hasn't been much hesitation from him offensively. You, we all know he can defend, right? Like he's a guy that yep. you throw in a game. No doubt. He might commit some silly fouls here and there, but they're going to be effort activity fouls, maybe a reach in foul here and there, but he's going to go over screens. He's going to battle. He's going to get into guys chests. He's going to rebound well for his position, which I think is a underrated part of his package and what he brings to the game. It's really just about the offense. Like, what can he do? How is he as a decision maker? And I think as a shooter in this game against Brooklyn, very decisive, got a couple to go down, almost had another one late in the game in garbage time after this one was wrapped up already. But it's hard to say he's for real with air quotes yet, but the signs are certainly all there, I think. I think he is for real as a rotation player. I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And you're right. The offense has always been the question mark. He's been an NBA-level defender almost from the day he stepped on the floor, which is not something you say about very many you know, 19-year-olds or whatever he was when he came in the league. But it's always been, is he going to take enough shots? Is he going to make enough shots? Is his decision-making quick enough that you can actually put him on the floor? Uh, and look, he has been perfect in that regard, especially the first couple of games he saw uh, legitimate minutes. But he's been getting better each game. He's progressing yes. with where he needs to be. He's never going to get there unless Nick Nurse plays him. So the fact that he has been playing here over the last couple of games, he took four threes tonight. Uh, he's uh, didn't see as many record scratch moments, didn't see as many moments where he would dribble in the lane and then you know sort of like hesitate and panic. You're seeing fewer of those each and every game. So if he can keep doing that, like you mentioned, the defense is legitimate. For a guy, um, you know, he's best on a team in terms of blowing up the ball screen. He's one of the more switchable players on the team. He's one of the more active and engaged defenders. Again, probably not perfect on the end. He's going to fall asleep every now and then. He's going to get caught ball watching off ball. But the way he can recover is incredible. You want to keep that defense on the floor. I'd love to see him keep getting 20 minutes per night, even when Kelly comes back. I think his defense is that good. There has been a follow-up debate sort of in the chat of, you know, is does that mean he's going to be around or could he be a trade chip? Oh, I think pretty much anyone can be a trade chip with Daryl. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. think anyone outside of Embiid and Maxi is off the table. Uh, so if, if, you know, Springer comes out and he all of a sudden looks appealing to other teams, I'm not going to tell you there's no chance he's included in a trade. But either way, him playing and playing well is good for the team. Yeah, and it just gives Nick options, right? Because I think when he played earlier this season after a strong preseason he's in these you know short little five ten minute stints where the hesitation deer in the headlights look becomes apparent very quickly and that's just something you can't live with it nick and any coach would tell you they're not going to mind if he misses a shot here or there if he has a strong take to the basket gets blocked or misses whatever like those kind of things can happen it's when he dribbles to, I don't know, 15 feet away from the rim and stops yeah. and then he's trapped and he's on the baseline and there's nowhere to go. That's the stuff you can't live with. Everything else, the kid plays so hard that he's going to have a long leash to figure it out and you know leave his imprint on the game in some way. So it's just about, hey, Jaden, what did you do in the offseason? What have you learned over these last couple yep. of years about who you are on offense? and how you can get to your spots. Because, I mean, at the G League level, clearly didn't struggle too much last year to find his own shot and and score when he's the featured player. 
but it's a lot different. I know I preach this message all the time on the show. It's a lot different when maybe you're in a game for six minutes and you might get seven seconds worth of touches. The ball's hitting your hands and you got to put the shot up or drive and then you might not touch it the rest of the time you're on the floor. So that part of being an NBA rotation player is a lot more difficult than I think people understand. And so I've been encouraged seeing Jaden get, look, he took a couple catch and shoot threes tonight where ball barely hit his hands and it's just shot going up. That's what they need from him for him to make the leap from to Derek's point rotation guy, just because of the defense, the activity, the athleticism, all that to go from that to rotation guy to this guy might fight for even more minutes and an even bigger role as time wears on. Yeah. And look, the decision-making isn't just like when you have the ball in your hands too. Like there was a point in the second quarter where his man was helping off of him and he immediately went to a slot cut and just knowing when to cut, knowing when to go baseline when you're open, when the the window is there, he is doing that pretty well. And again, he's not going to be perfect. He's still young. He's still inexperienced, but you really like what you are seeing from him. And I think some people will look at it because we had sort of a similar argument with Paul Reed versus DeAndre a couple of years ago, and now we're having one with Marcus Morris versus Jaden. Think, oh, you just, you know, you have a bias towards young players. When I spoke about Jaden over the summer, back on sort of the predecessor of this podcast, I didn't know if his fourth-year option was going to pick up. I, I didn't know if I would have picked up his fourth-year option. I had that little confidence in him. I didn't come into this season, I didn't come into it here with a predisposition towards Jaden Springer. He's won me over with this play in the preseason with what he showed here in the early goings. His defense is that legitimate. You need to find a way to keep him on the floor. You really have to hope that that, uh, what he's showing offensively is legitimate, not that he would ever be a featured player offensively, just good enough that you can keep him. And so far, I think the uh, signs are really good. Yeah, because look, we talked about it after the Hawks game, Derek. More athletes on the floor with Joel Embiid is a good thing. You don't want to... I think Daryl forgot that for a couple of years. Like, yeah. oh man, we can't have well, anyone who can dunk. Every single person who ran the Sixers forgot that. For can't can't have anyone who can there. dunk, but it is nice to see. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, look, the more guys like him that you can get on the floor, and if you can specifically get him on the floor, I think it's going to help a lot. I think it helps out everybody. It's a pace and space league, and I know everyone really hones in on the space part of that. Rightfully so. The three point shot has changed the way we think and the way teams play basketball. But the pace part is also important. Guys who play with tempo and power and speed, and Springer has all of that. He And look, he does it in ways that are not, hey, he's scoring 15 points, but he comes in on offensive rebounds like he's fighting for his goddamn life. Like it's yeah. just flying through the air at guys who are maybe four inches, five inches, six inches taller than him in some cases. Not giving up a lot of weight to them because he is built like a fucking bulldozer, that kid. But he's then taking rebounds off of these guys and mixing it up with these people because he is playing faster than they are. And that everyone thinks of pace in like a transition, run the floor type of deal. It shows up in a lot of different ways. And I see it from Jaden in ways that I think really matter for a kid who's trying to break into the rotation. Agreed. Agreed. Very, very, very impressed with what we've seen. Any other role players here you want to highlight? Uh, we could say that this is probably the first bad or subpar Tobias game. Yeah. And I think to get 13 games into the season and have that be the first game where you're like, man, he didn't really have it tonight. 
that's awesome yeah. for them. And look, this is where, you know, he ended up 10 points, five for 13 shooting. I felt like a lot of them were like real close range runners or floaters layups that he has made up to this point in the season. So like, you don't want to worry too much about it End up missing all four of his threes. But when you have an off night with some makeable shots, like I think he had tonight, this is where not taking enough threes or not getting the free throw line. You know, those are ways that you can overcome an off shooting night. Tobias doesn't really do that. And he ha specifically hasn't been doing it this year. His three point rates down his free getting the free throw line is down. Um, I don't really care about the shots he took. I just wish he had something in his bag to really kind of, like I said, overcome nights where his, his, he's missing, missing, missing makeable shots. I can't speak to that. I was going to say, talk much, podcast, <laughs> Way man. too much. But anyway, that's a different <laughs> conversation. No, it, it was definitely a down night for Tobias. Um, not one that I'm losing too much sleep over. You just wish that there were other aspects, the ancillary aspects of his game that helped him overcome it. But it's also nice that they have enough depth that we yeah. can say, yeah, Tobias played pretty crappy and they still won by and what? Like you mentioned, 22. Yeah. And yeah. like you mentioned, it's the 13th game of the season. This is really the first time you went like, like, eh, that was a stinker Tobias. He's had a real good year. Real yeah. good year. Yeah. So look, they're in, I know that we've been in good vibes situations with this team before only for the bottom to drop out. And specifically but. good vibes with Tobias. He started last year pretty strong too. And then really struggled down the stretch. Yeah. So with him, we're going to be keeping an eye on him. What his shot diet looks like, how the team, or I would say how other teams adjust to Maxi's on the map now, right? Like this yep. is like, you're not going to surprise anybody at this point. You're 13 games into the year scoring 25 plus points a game. Awesome. assist to turnover ratio. You can't sneak up on people anymore. You are the head of the snake and pick and rolls with Joel Embiid. You're going to be not at the very top of the scouting report, but damn close. You're number two behind Joel Embiid. And so, other guys are going to have to step up. Tonight it was DeAnthony Melton. They got a big D house, big Tobias Harris game Friday night. And along and along we go. And maybe Nick Batum has a nice game later this week. And now that he's finally back in the rotation and with the team at all, I do think, by the way, it's very telling that Nick Batum missed you know, multiple games due to personal reasons and what have you and immediately got put back in the starting lineup. Yeah. Like, I, I think the level of trust in him from nurse and the coaching staff is significant and yeah. i think that's that's a big takeaway for me right now like i i did not know if that was a hey just let him work his way back in it was immediately back into that starting spot yeah and i think he should probably remain and look we, we will reevaluate this when we see him play but i would think he will probably remain in there even when Ubre returns he just fits so. what that lineup needs uh, as a connected piece. And probably your best entry passer uh, to get the ball to Joe, which, uh, you know, it helps. It's damning with faint color. praise in some ways, but he is definitely good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I think. Got one more we got one friend more of ours to here. talk about before we get tell out of here. you about FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it being football and tailgating season, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game, FOCO has. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off. 
We did have a question from Elliot asking if Batum has resolved the family situation. I can't speak for Derek. My general approach to personal reasons, absences, is I don't really pry more than I have to. If it if this had become a thing where Nick is out, or Nico is out for weeks at a time, I think that's when it becomes a situation I really need to inquire about. For now, I think it's I'm okay with letting guys have their professional and personal space is what I would say. Yeah, and also Kyle and I haven't been on this little two-game road trip, so we haven't really had a chance to yeah. go to any of the press availabilities. Uh, is it resolved for good? Not sure I can 100% say that, but he's back with the team. Uh, and honestly, he's back with the team in a time frame that they sort of said he would be. You mm-hmm. know, they, they mentioned he was going to miss that game against the Hawks and probably come back against the uh, Nets and they missed the game against the Hawks and came back against the Nets. So look, it's not like when they traded for Glenn Robinson, the third and Alec Burks, and they took the Oregon trail to get to here by covered wagon. It's all kind of been above board as far as we can tell. Yeah. And again, he, you know, traded here, missed, I think what the first two games uh, after like the that. trade yeah. played in four mixed, m- missed the next three. So do I know for sure he will not have to take any more time? No, I don't, but he's, he's back and he's like you mentioned right back into the starting lineup. Yeah, so what else you got Derek, as we wrap this up on a, a Sunday evening, or do you want to take some questions from? No, I mean, certainly if the- you have some questions, drop them in the chat, we'll flag them and try to talk about them. Like we started the show off with, this is just a game where Embiid is better than the opponent. Uh, a game where if the Sixers execute, they're probably going to win. Biggest takeaway by far was Maxi uh, and the two-man game with Embiid and the passing and the ability to generate good looks for his teammates without making any kind of mistakes. It was a real positive game in that respect. Um, it was just like for a, a a team where we spent so much time leading in the season talking about what happens if Maxi takes that leap. For him to come out and after a pretty quiet first quarter uh, to come out and control the game the way he did, it's just that will almost always be my takeaway when it happens because that is a new piece of information. That is a piece of information where if it continues, changes everything we talk about. We did have a question from, I think it was Dave P earlier in the chat asking if Triumph is the best Wu-Tang Clan song. I don't know if Derek has uh, strong opinions on that. I would say my favorite off the top of my head is The Mystery of Chess Boxing, but that's also because... I once met when I was working at a WIP doing sound stuff at night. Mastakilla actually came in and was recording a podcast okay. there at night. And I met him and I already loved the song and the verse on that song. And then I met and talked to him for like 10, 15 minutes about Wu-Tang. And I was like, man, this guy is fucking awesome. Like just yeah. such an down to earth, like really sweet guy. And I was like, that made me like the song and Wu Tang even more yeah. to go through that. So that would cool. be my vote. I don't know if Derek has good, a uh, good old WIP callbacks. Kyle, Kyle and I had a show on WIP at one point. I'm that was sure a long, people, Oh my God. I almost forgot. That about was that during one. the, uh, the burner gate scandal. Yeah. That, that was, was exactly quite a long right. time ago. Uh, I gotta say more, it like that. Cause that's like not even that long ago compared to some of the shows. I mean, seen. listen, buddy, we lived through like basically the world ending for six months there at least and all kinds of other stuff. So it feels like forever ago yeah. to me. I would say that. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm struggling on this one. Cause that was such a comprehensive beat. All right. Let's say this. We didn't really, I don't feel like we talked about Joel specifically. No, enough. we didn't talk about it because we, I think we sort of expect him to do what he did today. 
And that's kind of the the issue, right? It's why probably he liked the tweet that I sent saying that his two games last week were unacceptable or at least ended in unacceptable fashion. I have a high bar that I want Joel to clear. And I thought this is an example of him clearing that. It might not have been 45 points or 50 points or whatever, just absolutely dismantling Claxton and Sharp. Yeah. But this is an example of him completely controlling a game. When they sent extra help, he found the open guy. When Tyrese Maxey had it rolling, we're running pick and rolls and handoffs and getting Tyrese open shots. When he's got the one-on-one matchup, he's banging down low with Claxton. He's banging down low with Sharp. He's punishing some switches. Honestly, one of my favorite plays of the night, Derek, there was a sequence. I want to say it was in the third quarter when Maxey got going. But they forced a few switches in really quick succession. It was Claxton had to step out on Maxi, So then Bridges is on Joel. And then they try to double off of Joel. And Joel immediately sees Tyrese open for a wing three and gets him the ball. And Tyrese takes it and misses it. But it's like, man, they're just ping-ponging the ball yeah. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And seeing these reads unfold in such a short amount of time Another night and day difference from him playing with Harden, where yeah. Harden would give him the ball and you know he'd wait for it and throw some entry passes back to him, but it was not Harden working to like, okay, maybe I can get a great look at a three here, a yeah. great look for myself here. It was just, I'm going to keep feeding Joel and he'll figure it out, and that's kind of the end of the plan. Well, it really is. like Tyrese can take elements of all the various other archetypes that Embiid has played with, and he can provide that. Like He got a couple threes today off of DHOs with Joe and just repositioning himself and running himself around Embiid to get open. He is able to play that drive and kick game. He is able to play, you know, make that pocket pass to Embiid. He's able to play a little bit like Jimmy Butler where he is going to get in the paint and find that kick out of the corner. They've never really had anyone who can do two of those three things. And Maxi has the capability of doing all three. And for, I think all of that to come together a little quicker than expected. Like I said, he's further along. I, I brought up the stats uh, earlier on in the season, but he had like 65 points off of handoffs all season last year. He had like 30 after three games or something absurd like that. I haven't gone back and checked to see how many he has, but to add that element to his game, to add that pocket pass to his game, to have gone in the summer and worked out with Embiid and Hanlon uh, and to come back and be able to run that, it's just all coming together quicker. And again, I think he's probably going to have some nights where he struggles. Games like Boston, it's a lot to ask of a young kid, a lot to put on his plate and ask him to grow but he is succeeding more often than not. And it's just, it completely reevaluates everything that I think about this team. Um, if you go back and you look, now we weren't the only ones, but we weren't the most positive about their outlooks this year. Uh, I think that has changed pretty quickly. I mean, to essentially answer the biggest question you had about the team coming into the season within the first 13 games of the year, can Tyrese be a high level point guard for this team? then now it's less important questions need to be answered. Certainly they need to add talent and they need to do different we things. We weren't the it's only just, ones, but we weren't the look, most man, when positive you can get about their outlooks this year. That out of the I way that already. That's incredible. Yeah. No, and, and we've got um, Spider-Man 2099. Uh, don't know if he goes by Miguel O'Hara, but... He is saying that you should tweet out that Joel Embiid had an acceptable game today. I agree. I with essentially that. did you, with you should, the the recap. No, it should I, be exactly that. Like Joel Embiid had an accept, acceptable game. Because if you're going to do it when he doesn't have an, when he has an unacceptable game, I think that would be funny. That should be a bit. Just I, every day you say acceptable or not, check it off, and you know. If I was 
sending a tweet about acceptability for Joel every night that would get really tiring. <laughs> Maybe I'll just start a thread and then it's, it's like, contained within like one. It's like the old yeah, like when I used to do off. on the sending them to uh, Delaware. Um, or or the, did the Sixers win? Yes. Well, I was gonna say so. Did the Sixers win? The guy who ran it was it? He's Kevin, I think. Just retired that yeah. account. I could make a new account. Was Joel Embiid's performance acceptable? I don't know how I would brand it otherwise and just tweet yes or no after every game. Yeah. But, you know, I'll know that that's a million-dollar idea. You create but. a secondary account, like, was Joel Embiid acceptable? And you can just tweet yes or no. Or maybe we I'll get our graphics team on, like, a Joel Embiid acceptability scale, like okay. a red to green type of pinwheel deal. We do have a super chat from our guy Bill who says – Hey guys, Sixers are about to go on a six-game gauntlet. Prediction on how many wins and losses? Yeah, in so that six games. that six-game gauntlet he's talking about. Four of them on the road. You've got the Cavs and the Lakers at home, uh, and then you have the Wolves, Thunder, Pelicans, and Celtics on the road. Now there's a it's it's one home game, two road games, one home game, two road games. It's not in that order, but that is the sort of gist of it. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of good teams. Uh, some of them maybe not playing well or playing up to the level you expect. Like right now, the Cavs are a 500 team. Uh, the Lakers have been up and down a little bit. But there's, you know, all six of them are teams that are capable of playing good basketball. The Wolves and Thunder specifically, I think, are playing better than a lot of people expected. The Celtics are the Celtics. They don't really need an introduction. That is certainly a, a tough stretch and a crucial, at least crucial for you and I, an in-season tournament game there against the Cavs. Come on, baby. One. We need it, a win and a big margin. I'm big going margin, to Vegas. Big margin. Uh, but that is a very tough stretch for sure. <laughs> so I would say like half of those games are toughies. I, I think Minnesota, OKC, Boston, certainly. To your point, I think Cleveland's been much more mediocre than expected to start and they're the year. a team that struggles to match up with the mean the lakers are just kind of a mess right now and i i mean the pelicans are not a serious team that's just <laughs> they i mean what are we talking about here what i'm gonna i don't even know what their record is right now but anytime of, seven. that's not, they're under 500 like what are we that's not a real team. The Lakers are seven and six are barely any better than I them. mean, it is a road game though, at least. I, yeah, for sure. I understand that part of it. All I'm saying is if we're going to sit here and praise the professionalism of the team and Hey, they're beating the crap out of the teams that they're supposed to. I'm not going to sit here and worry about the new Orleans Pelicans and Lakers and the Cavs. That's just not, they're not on the radar for me. Now, what I will say is that, that back to back or those two straight those two games against Cavs Wolves Minnesota well not even that well, the, the Cavs Wolves are back to back so that yes. Wolves game is going to be real tough I more so meant the Minnesota Thunder set of games there on the road I'm really interested to see how they match up with both those teams cuz I know you were higher on the Wolves than I was coming into the year and Obviously, Ant-Man has been killing it, but they've been a defensive juggernaut yep. in the early part of the season. So how do they hold up there? And then Oklahoma City is a super deep, super young team that Chet, I think, is going to really struggle to defend Joel. But Chet is also going to force Joel to come out to the perimeter and do some of the things that we've seen the Horfords, the Przingises do to torture him on the other end of the floor. How do they handle that type of five out basketball 
it'll just be interesting to see them play some uh, some good Western Conference teams early in the schedule. Yeah, and two of those games, you know, the Celtics have the best defense in the league. Minnesota has a second. So you've got, you know, we talk about this team and Maxi and Bede and pick and roll. Well, we've gone through a stretch here where they've been playing not great defenses uh, and they've been able to pick them apart. Now we get to see what they can do against contending level defenses because they're those two teams specifically are going to test the uh, the the Sixers and test the Embiid Maxi pairing. It prediction wise, this is going to be a lame prediction, but I'll go three three. Oh boo! I'm going at least four two. Probably, That's, probably. I think they lose to it's Boston on the road, and they're going to lose one of the Thunder or Wolves games. I'm not sure which one. I'd probably guess Minnesota just because. It's a back-to-back yes. that you're going home away, and yep. it's a at no, least decently tough game the night before. Boston and Minnesota were the two that I looked at, and I said they'll probably like. I would make the other team a favorite. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then one, I just gave them one loss for shit happening because I feel like, yeah, especially when you start going on the road, that's what tends to happen. But six could certainly go four and two. Uh, they're not going to be out of any of these games. If honestly, if they go two and four and beat the Celtics, that might. Might end up being fans, a better yeah. mood lift. Um, but that will be uh, that Boston game on, on December 1st. It would be great to go up there and get that win because then they don't have another game against them until like, I think it's March. Might be February. But That's it's, crazy. It's, it's a while. Yeah. Uh, so if, if the Sixers lose two out of three of the Celtics, uh, they won't have a chance to improve the vibes on that matchup for quite a while. But uh, One last question in the chat. I know we've talked about this a lot, but Big John earlier had asked, who do you guys see as a gettable backup ball handler? And could it be someone like Clarkson? I'd say probably no on Clarkson. As much as he would fit in kind of what I've talked about a lot on the pod, which is a innings eater, regular season guy, certainly someone you can give the ball to for bench units in the regular yep. season. I think he's basically almost unplayable in the playoffs. And he's going to cost too much to just be an innings eater. Yes. Because yeah. I believe he signed an extension, if I remember correctly. I think he's actually locked up for several years. Now, the money is not crazy, but for a team that has been selling cap space as a big part of their plan, yeah, he is making $14 million next year and 14 to 25 26 So... I just don't think that's the type of contract they're looking to take on. I'm sure Derek would agree with me on that. I think it's probably if you're looking at backup ball handler types, it's you have to look at guys on expiring. So the yeah. the Tyus Jones is Tyus Jones is the name I always bring up that I think he's the high end outcome, but there's also Monte Morris and Delon Wright is probably very gettable. He's much lower on that scale, I'd say of good players who can dribble, but just somebody. And I still, I said this a couple of shows ago, Jake M in the chat is sort of saying the same thing. He says that Daryl isn't going to go look for backups. He's going to wait for the guy and just play him with the bench unit. I agree that I think Daryl is probably going to try to, you know, get through this period of the schedule without really making a move and just wait until you get to the point where he's going to make his major one. Uh, I think I don't necessarily disagree with Kyle on the need. I just, my gut tells me I think Daryl probably waits, but we shall see. And specifically with someone like Clarkson, he would just cost too much uh, and not be something that I think Daryl wants in the long-term plans. So I would be surprised if he is a specific target, but uh, you know we'll see. Well, and uh, Lucas is expressing, it looks like some surprise at the idea that Tyus Jones would be a backup point guard. 
this is the first year ever that he's done anything other than be an off the bench guy. At least in Memphis, he played, he started from time to time, but it was mostly when Ja Morant was hurt. He's right. always kind of the six man bench caretaker and would bleed into closing lineups depending on how the game went. But I think you're not that it, I don't put it on him that Washington is an absolute dumpster fire this year, but certainly with him starting next to these other guys, it hasn't exactly gone swimmingly for the wizards. So maybe you slide them back into a, a smaller role and he ends up back in that. He's a pretty high level impact guy off the bench yeah. for dating back a year. So again, I think that's a high end outcome. If you're looking at backup types to Derek's point, I do think it's probably more likely that they just hold on for dear life and say, we're waiting for our big additions closer to the deadline. Yeah, I agree. And even, even if like maybe that point guard ends up being involved in the trade, um, I just think it's most likely to happen at that point. But, and to your point on Tyus, he's got a $14 million expiring. So that fits perfectly as well. Exactly. All right. I think that is probably a good enough place here to cut it off, we'll be back in studio tomorrow afternoon. What's that, a 2.30? 2.30-ish, I believe. It'll be up on our social accounts at some point. I'll share a nice shiny graphic with you. So I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for jumping on. I'm sure you got some shout-outs you want to shout out. Yeah, while we're here, I just want to thank everyone, as always, for stopping through. Ronald and Lucas and Rick and Jake and RC. Two-minute warning. Fred, Jake, Art. Oh, I already said RC. Bill, Vince was here, Spider-Man, got a Marvel character in the chat, it's always good. Jeff, Big John, Hypothetical Man, obviously love having you guys with us each and every day. If you have not already, I think we've had subscribers only chat today, so most of you probably already subscribed. If you haven't, please hit that, hit that bell icon so every time that we go live, you get a notification. Hit the thumbs up button on the video on the way out, it helps us out a great deal. And we will talk to you all soon.